And uh, we know that for a number of reasons, but uh, one of the reasons, and you can check it out at a later time, but in Matthew 13, the Lord Jesus all of a sudden begins to do a totally different kind of teaching. In Matthew 13, he begins to teach in parables. He had never done that before. And his disciples, if you go back and read it, his disciples basically say to him, why are you teaching in parables? And he said, because I want the truth basically to be open to you who believe, but those who have rejected me will not be able to understand it anymore. So that's what happens. So he's been rejected. Now we come to Matthew 16. And at this point, the Lord Jesus takes his disciples out of the regions of Judea and Galilee and takes them way up north in the country to a community called Caesarea Philippi, which, as you might sense, is a Gentile community. Caesarea, named after one of the, the Caesars. Caesarea Philippi, Philip was the Caesar. So he takes them up there. He's, he's out away from all the Jews and so on, and he wants to challenge them with a question. So let's see what he, he says here, Matthew 16, beginning in verse 13. But before we do it, let's pray. Our Father, we ask you to use your word tonight to inform us, but to stir us and to challenge us with who we are and why we even exist, why we live. And we'll thank you, Lord, if you'll minister to us. Don't pass any of us by. Single out each one of us and minister to us in a very personal way. We'll thank you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 16 and, uh, and verse 13, here's what he says. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Now, he had been ministering for probably two and a half years. And so he takes his disciples away, and he says to this, basically, I've been out teaching and preaching. Who do people say that I am? Do they get it? Do they understand? Well, the answer is interesting, verse 14. And they said, some say you're John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist had been put to death. And maybe they thought he had come back from the dead. But here the disciples say, well, you know, some of the people think you're John the Baptist. Really? Some, Elias or Elijah. Now, Malachi said Elijah is going to come back before the great and terrible day of the Lord. Elijah is going to minister again on this earth before Christ sets up his kingdom. So his disciples say, well, you know, some people think you're Elijah. Isn't that interesting? Others, Jeremiah. They think maybe Jeremiah the prophet came back. Some people think you're Jeremiah. Or one of the prophets. Now think of that. He's been ministering two and a half years, giving all this teaching, offering himself. And he says to his disciples, so do people get it? Who do you think that I am? And what a variety of answers. It's amazing. So verse 15, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? Do you understand who I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. He has opened your mind to understand who I really am. And then verse 18, he said, And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, you know, the Roman Catholic Church thinks that Peter was the first pope, right? And they, they come to this to teach that. But let me just share with you exactly what's being said here. Peter makes this confession. The Lord Jesus says to him, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. Now, Peter comes from the Greek term petros, which means a little stone. So he said to him, you are, you're Peter, you're a little stone. But then he says... And upon this rock, now that's the Greek word petra, which means a large, massive stone. So he's really got to play on words. Peter, you're just a little stone. But what you just said, I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, that is a massive rock of truth. And that's when he's talking about this. And I, upon this rock, I will build my church church wasn't built on Peter. It'd be a shame if it was, because it wasn't too long after this, Peter denied Christ, you know, right at the time of trial. So I'm glad, you know, we don't have much defense on, on him. But, uh, and he said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, the reason I'm pointing that out at this point is because we're going to see a further discussion by the Lord Jesus. And I want you to get this idea in your mind. He basically has now written off the Jews. They have rejected him, and he's teaching him parables so that they can't even understand it anymore. They have turned against him. And he now says, I'm going to build my church. Something totally different, something that had never been talked about, something never found in the Old Testament. He said, I'm now going to build my church. So where we are in his life is this. He has stopped ministering to the Jews. We'll see that more in a moment. He's going to build his church, but the church hasn't started yet. So we're kind of an in-between time in the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Now, go over, if you will. For me, it's the next page. It might not be the next page for you in your, in your Bible. But in verse 20, I'm not going to deal with every verse, but look what he said in verse 20 to his disciples. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. That's amazing. He said, look, don't go telling anybody anymore that I am Jesus the Christ. Why? He's been rejected by the Jews. He's going to start his church. Verse 21, a key time in, in his ministry. Verse 21. From that time forth, so from this experience going forward, something is happening. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised again the third day. Now, they had never heard that before. 
And this is when he first introduces it to them for the first time. He said, I want you to know, here's what's going to happen. We're going to go to Jerusalem. And when I get there, the chief priests and scribes are going to turn against me. And listen, I'm going to be killed. Boy, they didn't get that. I'm going to be killed. But then he also said this. He said, and I'm going to be raised again the third day. So he said, I'm going to be raised from the dead. And I always marvel when I read that. I talk about it every time I come here. But I always marvel that one of these guys didn't say, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did you say you're going to be killed and then three days later you're going to rise from the dead? Nobody, you know, nobody seemed to pick up on that. Except Peter says in verse 22, Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Now, there's the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me and whatever. And then Peter says, no, no, that's not going to happen. Oh, my. So the Lord Jesus wasn't very happy with him. Verse 23, he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. Pretty terrible for the first pope, isn't it? I was only teasing. Thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Peter, you have no understanding of what God is doing. You have no understanding of what's happening. You're seeing it from a purely human standpoint, you know, convinced that this would never happen. It's going to happen. So what a setting we're in. And so the Lord Jesus then gives to these men an absolutely incredible challenge and it's a challenge for every single one of us to think about look at verse 24 and i'm going to read verses 24 25 26 and then we're going to come back and talk about it then said jesus unto his disciples if any man will come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? That's quite a statement. Now, to really understand what's going on here, I have to talk about something. I, always, I really always hate to bring up the Greek and whatever, because, oh, but this is important. There is a word in the Greek New Testament, and the word is suke. Suke. Now, suke, from, from suke, we get like psychology. Get that idea? Psychiatry from suke, right? Now, in our scriptures, that word is sometimes translated life. It is sometimes translated soul. Now, interestingly here, we have two verses. And in verse 25, this word suke is translated life two times. But in verse 26, it is translated soul two times. 
But this is one word, one word. And, and what is it? You know, in the Bible, sometimes we are described as having a soul. Sometimes we are described as being a soul. The term is used both ways. Uh, Romans 13, let every soul be subject unto the higher power. So there we're described as being a soul. But we're told in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, that our spirit, soul, and body should be sanctified. And that's us having a soul. So what's this word all about? It is a word that speaks of my being, my living, my existence, my life. My soul. Now watch what it says here. Look at verse 25. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. What's that mean? Whosoever will save his life. You. You. Your life not only here and now, but you. You as a person, you as a being. Now you and I are here right now, aren't we? For whatever it might be, 50, 60, 70, 80. How old are you, brother? Going on 87. Going on 87. All right. So I'm glad I included the 80. You know, 67, 80, 90, whatever. What? But, but we are here. But, you know, this is not the end of our existence, is it? Oh, no. No, you are going to exist somewhere forever. Right? You're being. What, what am I? What's this life and being all about? Right now, I'm here. But eventually, I'll be somewhere else. And so he says this. Whosoever will save his life. And let me suggest it be rendered like this. Whosoever will save his life for himself shall lose it. Why do you exist? Why did God give you life? Well, some people say, well, you know, I got my life and and I know what I want to do with my life. And I'm going to live my life. I'm going to go where I want to go, do what I want to do. And I'm saving my life for me. This is my life. The Lord Jesus said, well, I want to tell you something. If you save your life for yourself, in reality, you're going to lose it. Why did God create you? Why? Well, listen, if you ever want to get a hold of that that idea and, and what it means, why did God create me? You cannot save your existence for yourself. Or, in fact, you'll lose it. You'll never understand why you exist. So he said this. He said, whosoever will lose his life For my sake shall find it. 
Now, I hope tonight as you're here that you're saved. And if you're not saved, I hope you get saved tonight. There's a young lady here this morning. If you were here, you know she raised her hand, and I didn't get a chance to talk to her. I didn't want to embarrass her, but I'm grateful that she seemingly recognized she needed to be saved. And if you've never been saved, if you don't know for sure that when you die, and you are going to die, if you're not sure when you die you're going to heaven, then you need to get saved. You need to come to know Jesus Christ. And then you need to think about, so who am I? Why do I exist? What is my purpose for existing? If I'm going to save this life, my being, for myself, I'll never understand why God created me. But if I lose my life for his sake, I'll find it. What's that mean? Lord, here's my life. Here's my life. I don't want to run my own life. I don't want to do my own thing. Lord, I want to know why you made me. Why do I exist? Not just here on this earth. But into the ages of eternity, why do I exist? Well, if I'm willing to lose my life and say, Lord, I don't want to run my life. I'm taking my hands off my life. I surrender my whole self to you. You'll find it. You'll find it. Now remember, verse 26, the term... Soul is the same term, right? Suitcase, same term as life. So look at verse 26. Good question. What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, his own being? I think there's a few guys around today who would like to gain the whole world. I think old George Soros, we were talking about him. I think he's, boy, he's trying to control it all, isn't he? I think Bill Gates would like to do the same thing, maybe some others. And there's going to be a guy coming along called the Antichrist, and he's going to get pretty good control of this world along the way. But the Lord Jesus said, I'm going to ask you something. What if, in fact, you gain the whole world? And all of a sudden, you're in charge. You've got it. You can control the money, you control the people, you control everything. And I made it. Gain the whole world. Boom, you die. And you go to hell. What did it profit if for these few years here on earth you gained the whole world and you never came to understand why God created you. You never came to understand what being a human being is really all about. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. And then the Lord Jesus said this. Last part of verse 26. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And let me put it to you this way. What would a man be willing to give for the, the purpose of understanding why you exist?
Folks, we're not animals. We're not animals. We were created in the image and likeness of God. He has given us life. And we're going to live through the ages of the ages of eternity. Someday, and I wish I had time to preach on that while I'm here, but someday there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. And the heavens that we see are going to be gone and the earth on which we walk, it's going to be gone. He's going to do away with it all. And he's going to create a new earth. And, and in Revelation 21, it tells us when we get there, there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more death. That's going to be something. So with those things in mind, the Lord Jesus says, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? And I want to tell you the answer is, Everything. Lord, I give you everything. I want to know you. I want to live for you. I want to know that you are the one guiding my life, that my life is in your hands now for time and then for eternity. Lord, I want that. But too many people say, oh, no. <laughs> I'm running my life. I know what I want to do. I know my goals. I know what I'm aiming at. I want to. Listen, I don't care whether you are the youngest among us or the oldest among us. Or No offense. I love this guy. But it doesn't matter. Has the day ever come in your life when you said, Lord. I just surrender all to you. I surrender it all to you. I just give it to you. Lay it on the altar. Do with me whatever you want to do. Lord, you have the right to keep me living. You have the right to take my life. You have the right to give me health. You have the right to let me get sick. Lord, I'm simply yours. I surrender it all. Listen, until you do that, you'll never really begin to understand what God has for you. Who knows what he has? I believe there are many people who've maybe gotten saved and they lived their whole life doing their own thing. And someday they'll stand before the Lord and the Lord will say, you know what, here's what you did. But that's not what I wanted you to do. That's not the life I wanted you to live. That's not the place I wanted you to work. That's not whatever it might be. I had a plan and purpose for you, but you would never surrender to me. You were going to do your thing. It always bothers me when young people talk about the future. Oh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to go there. Is that what God wants you to do? Where you live today, do you know in your heart, we are living exactly where God wants us to live. And where you were, I know I am working exactly where God wants me to work. Is that the peace you have? That you surrender all to him and so he's he's moving and nudging and getting you where he wants you because you're just fully surrendered well i hope you care about that because i want to tell you that's the most important thing you can deal with lord here's my life now how do you get there say okay that's what i want to do i want to get there that's where i want to be okay he deals with that in verse 24 let's look at it 
He says, if any man will come after me. You really want to follow him? You really want to serve him? If any man will come after me, number one, let him deny himself. That's a strong word. That's the same word that is used when Peter denied the Lord Jesus. Remember they came to him? They're at that fire. They started to challenge him. You know him. You're one of his. No, I don't know him. Oh, we can tell by your accent. We can tell you're a Galilean. You're one. No. I don't know him. He denied him. It's pretty strong. Now, here's what the Lord Jesus says to us. If you really want to come after me, you're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to reject yourself. You're going to have to turn away from yourself. Lord, I take my hands off my life. I take my hands off. I don't know what you want to do with me, but here, here I am. I reject my desires. I reject my will. I reject my plans. I've got to know that I'm doing what you want me to do. That's all that matters. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and secondly take up his cross. What was the cross to the Lord Jesus Christ? Listen, it was the ultimate step of obedience. He left the glory of heaven and he came to this earth and he went to that cross in obedience to the Father. He died even the death of the cross. That's where you and I need to be. Lord, I don't know what my cross is. I don't know what your will is for me. I don't know, but I'm willing for it. Whatever it is. The Lord Jesus wrestled with the cross. He prayed, oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup, that was the cross, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And he cried again, oh, my father. If this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, thy will be done. He died on the cross. That's where you and I need to be. Lord, I don't know what your ultimate will is for me. Now, you can't change the past, right? We are where we are. But we need to face this now, wherever we are, wherever we've been. Lord, I don't know what it might be, but whatever it is, whatever the cup is, whatever the ultimate act and step of obedience is, that's what I want to do. I want to take up my cross. And then he said this, and follow me. It's a lifetime. It's a lifetime. It's a life of sacrifice and service. You don't quit. You don't give up. You don't get discouraged to the point where you throw in the towel. Too many people are quitting today. There are people who used to be in church. They're not in church anymore. They used to serve. They, they don't serve now. They don't give now. And usually they stumble over people. 
There's nobody in this room who hasn't been hurt by people or failed by people, and it's going to keep on happening. But you can't let that get between you and him. And so no matter what anybody does or says, I'm following him. I'm going to live for him. By God's grace, all my days, I'm going to live for him. That's us. That's got to be us. And that is how you get to coming to understand why you even exist. Verse 27, we'll conclude with this. He said to those men, he said, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. That day is yet to come. The rapture will take place, but eventually he will come in glory. And then shall he reward every man according to his works. Now, that's not salvation. That's the reward of the believer who has laid all on the altar, has followed him for a lifetime, and we step out of time. Christ comes in glory. He sets up that kingdom, and then on we go to the creation eventually of that new heaven and new earth, and if you're saved, you'll be there, and I'll be there. And then we find out, okay, Lord, now what? How do I live? How do I serve you into the ages of the ages? It's incredible. It's incredible. That stirs me. It stirs me as a person. I don't want to get before the Lord and Him say to me again, well, you know, this is what you did in life, but I want to show you what I had for you if you'd have just surrendered. Now, if you're not surrendered, surrender. Surrender. If by chance you're here tonight and you've never been saved, you never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's the beginning of life. You need to be saved. Let's pray. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Father, Thank you. Thank you for your word. And we thank you that it teaches us that you know every single one of us by name. And you tell us that even as you take note of a sparrow that falls and dies... So you know us, just that personally. We thank you, Father, that you loved us so much that even though we are sinners and worthy of hell, the Lord Jesus died for us. And you invite us to put our faith and trust in him as our Savior, and then to serve Him as our Lord and Master. 
So, Father, I know that means you know each one of us here tonight. You know me personally. You know every person in this room in a very personal and intimate way. And I pray that you will not pass us by, that you will work in each of us according to the need that you see. And we'll thank you for that. I'm going to continue to pray in a moment, but with our head bowed and eyes closed, first of all, I want to ask you this. Are you absolutely sure that if you died tonight, you would go immediately and directly to heaven? Are you absolutely sure of that? If you are absolutely sure of that, that's your testimony of saying, I am saved, I know I belong to God. But you might be here tonight and you say, if I died tonight, I don't know what would happen to me. Some people think, well, you die, you don't exist anymore, and they lay your body in a, in a grave. But listen, you will exist. Everybody will exist forever. But you might be here tonight and say, well, if I die tonight, I don't know what would happen to me. Well, you can know. God wants to save us, to rescue us. He wants to forgive us of our sins. He wants to give us the gift of eternal life. He wants to make us his child. So if you're here tonight and you say, Brother Griffith, that's not settled for me. I don't know that I belong to God. I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that I'll go to heaven if I die tonight. But I want to know. I care. If that's you, I'm going to invite you to just put your hand up in the air and right back down again. And I will not embarrass you or point you out in any way. But your raised hand simply says to me, Brother Griffith, I'm not sure what would happen to me. If I die tonight, I don't know. But I care. I want to know. Is there anybody like that tonight? Just going to tarry for a moment. Now, you might be here tonight and you say, I am saved. And if I die tonight, I know exactly what's going to happen. My body may die, but me, the real person, the soul, the real being, I am going to go to heaven. And someday, my body will be raised from the dead and I will be a whole person again. I know that. Well, then the question is, so are you fully surrendered? You're willing to lose your life for his sake. You say to him, Lord, anything you want, I'm willing. That's where we need to be. If you're not there, get there. Get there. Father, as we close our service tonight, we beg you to work in us. We don't want to be unstirred. We don't want to be unmoved. We want you to work in our hearts and our minds. To work in us mentally and emotionally and spiritually. You have created us. We want to live in perfect harmony with your desire for us. Well, thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, folks.